The courtroom in Atlanta today where they had a preliminary hearing in that phony January 6th case against President Trump and a dozen plus other defendants. They're trying to say that this is the trial of the century. Give me a break. All right. This was boring. I've seen O.J. And you know what? With O.J., we actually had a dead body. We actually knew that a crime occurred. We wanted to find out who did it. We knew O.J. probably did it. Right. Right. He's guilty. Uh, but this case no crime. No way. There's nobody dead. There's nobody hurt. There's Joe Biden's the president. This is a sham. I saw something, though, and you're going to see more of it. The sneaky playing of the race card. Ruby and Shay, remember these two? Yep, they were talking about them today. I'll have more to say about the case a little bit later in the show, but it got me thinking about race in America. Black lives matter. Black, not really. Unfortunately, no. The way our society works, well, black lives matter only when a black life is taken by a white cop. Apart from that, nobody really seems to care. When black young people kill even younger black people, no one cares. It is a stain on this country, and that so few people, if any, are willing to do a damn thing about it. It's crazy. It's happening all the time, everywhere. You know, for one brief shining moment, back when he was charming us, Barack Obama seemed like the guy who wanted to change a few things, a few things that needed to be changed. Go into any inner city neighborhood, and folks will tell you that government alone can't teach our kids to learn. They know that parents have to teach that children can't achieve unless we raise their expectations and turn off the television sets and eradicate the slander that says a black youth with a book is acting white. They know those things. I didn't know that a black youth with a book is acting white. That's what he said. Eradicate the slander that says a black youth with a book is acting white. Now in certain communities, Reading is acting white. That's a slander, according to Barack Obama. And it is a slander. I just didn't know it was a thing. Did you? Has anything been done to eradicate that slander? No, not a damn thing has been done about it. Instead, we just blame white supremacy on everything. Again, back when he was wooing us, when he wanted us to like him, the American people, he said all kinds of things that were true. Too many fathers are MIA. Too many fathers are AWOL. You and I know this is true everywhere, but nowhere is it more true than in the African-American community. We know the statistics that children who grow up without a father are five times more likely to live in poverty and commit crime. They're nine times more likely to drop out of school, 20 times more likely to end up in prison. Uh, he's right, and it's gotten worse since he spoke 15 years ago. Let's take a look at the numbers. In 1965, 25% of black children were born out of wedlock. That was actually seen as a crisis. Daniel Patrick Moynihan highlighted that. Today, 70% of black children born out of wedlock. For white children in 1965, the number was just 3.1% born out of wedlock. Today, the number is 28 
0.8%. Um, there's a, you see the gap, right? You see the, the difference? Why is it? Could it have something to do with the idea that reading a book, if you're black, is somehow acting white? Huh? Could it be? Did Obama do anything to eradicate that slander? No. Look at him lately. Truthfully, I'm contemplating making OnlyFans. My OnlyFans will probably look at me like, are you crazy, man? But I'm just trying to make some mans and maybe help my mama see Jamaica, man. Talk to Papa T like, see you. There's uh, Barack chilling in the hood with all kinds of uh, rappers and the lyrics are um, questionable, right? On the edge, as a lot of rap music is. So... Uh, this stuff is difficult to talk about. It is, even for me, right? So uh, let's not talk about it. Let's find a culprit. Let's find white supremacy. According to the intelligence community, terrorism from white supremacy is the most lethal threat to the homeland today. One of the greatest threats to our national security is domestic terrorism manifested by white supremacists. I obviously am very concerned about the rise of extremism and extremism related to white supremacy. The FBI has warned repeatedly that domestic terrorism fueled by white supremacy is the number one threat to the United States right now. It is a total lie. This is a phantom. They are chasing ghosts and most of them actually know it. Can we look at some numbers? In 2020, how many federal white supremacy cases were there? Five. Five. 2019, the year before, how many federal white supremacy cases? Uh, five. Does it look like an epidemic? No, it's not. White supremacy is stupid and wrong, and those who believe in it, all 12 of uh, them, they're either in prison or out in the woods, and if they break the law, they should be arrested. But let's not pretend it's something that it isn't. It's not an existential threat to the homeland. But it's easier for rich people to not say what we're talking about and just throw money at the problem. This is the guy who runs Coca-Cola. Companies like ours must speak up as allies to the Black Lives Matter movement. It's a critical time for our country. It's a critical time, I think, for business to also be speaking out, speaking up about these issues. I want to address the topic of racism, inequality, and injustice, and to recognize the pain being felt throughout our nation, especially in our black and brown communities after the senseless killing of George Floyd. He says that because it's easy. It's easy for Apple, that's Tim Cook from Apple, to write a check and to say what everybody expects him to say. But to talk about absentee fathers, MIA fathers, you have to be Barack Obama to say that. You got to be a Harvard Law graduate and black to say that. But unfortunately, the Harvard Law graduate who's black lost his courage, lost his nerve. The far left went crazy. Actually, Jesse Jackson threatened to castrate Barack Obama if he ever raised that issue again. And he basically didn't. So where are we? Corporate America and all that money. You know what the big result was? Got rid of all the black mascots on food. Aunt Jemima's gone. The cream of wheat guy, gone, right? Uh, who else? Uncle Ben's canceled, right? Is it, did this help anybody? Really? Did it, the white ones remain. The white mascots are still there. There's Captain Crunch. You can still find him on the box. Same with little Debbie and on and on and on. Pretty soon some kid, uh, possibly a black kid, is going to go to the store and say, why don't any of the food mascots look like me? You see how absurd this moment is? And, uh, oh, remember, though, being white, 
you're part of the problem. If you happen to be white, yep, and you are a suspect. Here's a suspect, okay? He's a 21-year-old white man. This 21-year-old white male mass murderer. The suspect is believed to be 18 to 20, a white male. Police identified the alleged shooter as a 15-year-old white male. The suspect in custody is white. It's humanizing the shooter once again. Yeah, and well. can I point out that the shooter is a white man who is alive after they knew that he had killed eight people. Gail King would have preferred if the cops just showed up blasting that guy because he was white. He may have killed eight people. I guess <laughs> they're still supposed to follow the rules. Anyway, they're very comfortable in those perches talking like that about white people. It's fair game. Talking about uncomfortable truths, that's uncomfortable. Who needs it? Let's just keep making money. And we'll portray the worst riots this country has seen in a century as as peaceful protest, right? This is peaceful protest. And who's going to bear the brunt of this? I mean, look, you know, I'm arguing about it. I don't like it. But uh, who's really, really bearing the brunt of this? The cops. Police are supposed to protect and serve, but it's clear that they are protecting the beneficiaries of inherent racist policies. And of course, cities have to end the racist policing of black communities. That's where we all started. They're not about one bad cop or one good guy with the gun or they're about systemic racism. If you have the perspective where the cops have protected you your whole life, that's not how they treat everybody. We should accept no racism among our cops. Racist sheriffs and police free to commit untold violence against anyone they please. We have to stop the black killing fields, okay? We know we have racist police. So this kind of hateful propaganda and no one's pushing back. Nobody's pushing back. It just takes on a life of its own. People start believing this, these lies, this nonsense. And it is the black killing fields. Is he crazy? This is the United States of America. He's wrong. Look at the numbers. Okay. The threat to black people, it's not police. It's not police. How are you guys holding up right now? Police, oh, by the way, very multiracial. It's a working class profession. All walks of life used to join the police force. Doesn't seem like anybody wants to be a cop because with that toxic stuff circulating, pulsating through the country 24-7, what does it mean for the cop on the beat? It looks something like this. Hey, stay in the car. Stay in the car. Stay in the car. Get in the car. Dude, I'm stopping you. Do you have a license? Do you have a license? For what? I'm stopping you. Do you have a license? What done? Do you have a driver's license? Do you speak English? Yes. Can I see your license? What do you want? Gets out of the car when he's not supposed to, is not cooperating with the cop. Cop wants to see his license. I'm wondering where this individual may have gotten the idea to just blow off the police officer. Like the police officer has absolutely no authority in this scenario. Where could he have gotten that idea? Police are supposed to protect and serve, but it's clear that they are protecting the beneficiaries of inherent. You see what I mean? Policies. 
If the guys watching any television sees this all the time, that the police somehow are inherently racist and have no authority, and therefore this guy doesn't cooperate, and then poses a real threat to the officer's safety. No, no, no. Stop, stop. Put your hands right. Stop. 1915, you got one running. North Stop! Stop! Okay. Damn. The man on the ground there, his name is Patrick Leoya, and he's got about 30 seconds left to live. We're not going to show you that portion. Leoya there, at one point, it seems like he grabs the police officer's gun, tries to grab the gun and the stun gun. Now, the officer has been arrested for killing this man, but you saw what happened. And I think that Mr. Leoya, although we'll never know, has been fed a steady diet of poison, and it led to this moment. Rich people, people on TV, virtue signaling, and this poor soul follows those cues and winds up dead happening in life and death situations and, and just downright silly situations. Who remembers that fight a couple of weeks ago at that dock in Montgomery, Alabama, right? Um, yeah, there was a fight. There was a rumble. And I don't like to see fights, but guess what? Fights happen all the time, and usually somebody's in the wrong. Usually somebody throws the first, uh, the first punch, and sometimes the guy's buddies join in, and it's stupid. This may or may not have been racially motivated. I don't know, um, but it was a fight. And of course, they made it into an international sensation because, well, there was a white person and a black person involved. Montgomery Mayor Stephen Reed is calling for justice to be served for attacking a man who was doing his job. The dock worker in Alabama attacked while doing his job. To see these people, this man doing his job, being assaulted. And that's about as deep as the media got. The man was assaulted doing his job, and, uh, and he was backed up by fellow African-Americans fighting the white people who were clearly the aggressors. And they didn't go any deeper. Well, a couple of other things were happening in that fight that I will show you that nobody else has seen except viewers of this show. There was a woman in a red dress who, as far as I can tell, was trying to break up the fight. You see the woman in the red dress? You see? Now look at what happens to her. She's being kicked and beaten by two women. And then she finally gets up. And then it's about to get really, really bad for her. So she gets kicked while she's down, and now she's about to get hit in the head with a chair. Wow, that's really awful. But uh, mainstream media wasn't interested because that's a white woman and the assailant happened to be black. And that makes a lot of people, for some reason, uncomfortable. I want to show you something else that the media, national media, never talked about. Uh, I call this the innocent bystander. Watch. See that woman? Now, this is about five minutes after the initial fight started. I don't know what she's thinking. Maybe she recognizes one of her friends. Maybe she just hates to see fights. 
and she runs down to try to break it up. That's as best I can tell. She's trying to break it up. Look at what happens to her. Pulling her by the hair, punching her. And throw her in the river. Now that's assault. That's a crime. Why didn't I hear about it? And remember the, the, the chair thing too. There's some people out there who think this is actually beautiful. Everything that just happened is somehow beautiful. This is a cultural moment uh, and a significant cultural moment where we're all having a, a good time. It wasn't long before black onlookers came rushing to the co-captain's defense from seemingly everywhere, like he'd thrown up a bat signal to the ancestors, maybe Harriet Tubman herself. The Montgomery Brawl, the Alabama Dock Wallop, and the Alabama Sweet Tea Party. An anthem has been written about it, art is being made, and there are odes to the folding chair inventor, Nathaniel Alexander, who was a black man. You know, this is where enemy of the people I think it really applies. The media enemy of the people, so many of them, not all, but, and to celebrate the folding chair that was used on that woman on her head, that is really borderline. That's scary stuff, folks. Scary. And more recently, Governor Hochul today, you know who she is? She is our very dim governor, accidental governor uh, here in New York State. Listen to this. If we're going to inspire kids, it really helps for them to see someone who looks like them who made it as well. Because to these children, the teachers are success. They made it. It's really not just, it's not just matching a student and the, to a, someone of the same race or same background. It's allowing all the children to be exposed to this, right? This is how we inspire tolerance. Because what we're seeing here today is a very intolerant society. Just uh, students can only admire teachers of the same race. Uh, you know, I think of Oprah Winfrey, who used to be great, let's face it, until she got all political. She had a reunion once with her teacher. I forgot her name, but she happened to be white and it was beautiful. The teacher saw something special in Oprah and they had a wonderful reunion on the show. I think comments like this and what it does for somebody who happens to be white in the classroom, a white teacher, right? Uh, does it foster resentment? Does it foster hostility? Unfortunately, sadly, I think it does. The children are innocent, but the message, messages they're bombarded with, that you can only look up to people who look like you. I'm proud of my Marine Corps service. I joined the Marine Corps back in, well, the late 1980s, and I was commissioned in 1991, got to fly a plane. I went into the Marine Corps for a couple of reasons. Number one, I was inspired by my father, Raymond Kelly, who served in Vietnam and became a colonel in the Marine Corps Reserve. I also joined the Marine Corps because I was very impressed with Colin Powell back during the Gulf War. Not the latest version of him. He, he died, by the way, rest in peace. But in the Gulf War, I thought he was awesome. I mean, there was something really cool about him. I admired his professionalism. And I also loved it that he came from the Bronx, okay? And I went to school in the Bronx, just a few miles away from Colin Powell. Wow, but he get, I guess he didn't look like me, right? You see, you see how silly that is, how shallow it is that you have to be the same race and to encourage children, these beautiful children, to look through that lens. This corrupt ideology and everything that goes with it is killing people, especially them. I'll be right back.
I switched. I switched. I switched. I made the switch to Newsmax. We start this morning in Washington where all eyes are on the White House. I switched to Newsmax. 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 Have you made the switch? You bet I did. My whole family switched. Everyone is making the switch. I did. I did. I switched and it made all the difference. It made all the difference. Have you made the switch? You should. Millions are switching to Newsmax. You should too. Historic first in one of Donald Trump's criminal cases. Cameras are about to be rolling inside an Atlanta area courtroom in Georgia. Adding to the drama of today, as you mentioned, John, is that this will be broadcast live. Again, just to emphasize it once again, for the first time, we will see it for ourselves. There will be cameras inside that courtroom. Cameras inside the courtroom. I never heard of such a thing since... uh... Court TV, everybody. All right. It's no big deal, especially when cameras are in the courtroom for a preliminary, preliminary hearing, as we had today in that court in Atlanta. Um, It was about a couple of things. Number one, I want to talk about this guy. I feel bad for all these defendants, including uh, Chesborough is his name, I believe. He's a Harvard law grad who lives and works in New York City, and he wrote some memos about the 12th Amendment. He had some ideas about what the 12th Amendment means, the stuff about electors and how they're counted and who counts them and all that stuff. He just wrote some memos, some emails, and they're trying to throw him in jail for that. Now, of course, I think deep down, not even deep down, they know this is a sham. Um, The prosecution is still insisting, insisting that they not break up these defendants. They want to put all 19 of them on trial at the same time. I mean, where do they do that? They do that in Egypt, all right? <laughs> they, they do. They have a big cage. They bring all the defendants in at one time. That's not America, all right? It's not. Uh, it's not even. I mean, gosh, it's corrupt. And I saw the race card played today. Yeah, e- even though it had nothing to do with Mr. Chesbro, they're going there. I want to remind the court that part of this RICO conspiracy involves victims. There are victims in this case. Um, that were targeted by members of the enterprise and their lives were turned upside down. And that's an important part of this case. And having those people come and testify multiple times over and over would both inconvenience, but more importantly, traumatize them. Ooh, traumatize them. Traumatize. You know, nobody was assaulted here. Nobody was physically or sexually assaulted. It's not that kind of case. But here's where the race card comes in, all right? Because they've been trotting out Ruby and Shay for a long time, right? Uh, sympathetic figures, they want you to believe. I don't know what they did. I really don't care what they did. This is theater at this point. And I think they know that. Watch. This turned my life upside down. Um, I no longer give out my business card. I don't transfer calls. I um, don't want anyone knowing my name. I don't want to go anywhere with my mom because she might yell my name out over the grocery aisle or something. I don't go to the grocery store at all. I haven't been anywhere um, at all. Except on national television, testifying. So if this really was a problem, this is an election worker in Georgia. Yeah, Trump tweeted some stuff about her. Rudy uh, didn't like her, Rudy Giuliani. You know, this is America. You're allowed to say things, even against public officials, even if they are very nice black women. All right. You're allowed to say these things, but they're playing a game here. The authorities, the culture, the media that somehow 
this, these people, Ruby and Shay, they're elevated, and you can't say anything about them, and you go along with this charade that I looked at the January 6th report. You know what it says? What they actually went through? Uh, somebody showed up and spoke to her neighbor. A couple of people knocked on our door. Uh, somebody said he was there to help Ruby Freeman, but he wasn't. Apparently he was, well, who knows exactly? It doesn't really matter. I've been cyberbullied. <laughs> Lots of people have. Teenagers get cyberbullied all the day, all right? All day long. It happens. It shouldn't, but that's the country we live in right now. But it happened to Ruby and Shay, those strave, strong women. So, you know, the sympathy. For people like Shay and Lady Ruby to no longer feel safe to do that job, to be menaced. So far, there's been no consequences to any of the people no. who ran the conspiracy to overturn the election. They got a settlement. Ruby Freeman and her daughter got a settlement from one pro-Trump far-right media organization. They could be at even bigger risk now that they've gone on TV. Yes. These women in particular, because they're low-level election workers. These are not people who are used to having security details. Those women who have been and through you know so much. All right. They're pandering. That's pandering. All right. Ruby and Shay. They're big girls, okay? They're big girls, and uh, this is all a scam. It's the tyranny, the treachery. They take sympathetic figures like those two and hide behind them, put them out front. You see, you can't attack. You, you see what they did? You see what they did? They do it all the time. Remember Cassidy? Uh, girl, what was her name? Cassidy somebody? Cassidy Hutchinson, right? You can't say anything about her. She's Cassidy! Remember that chubby soldier? What was his name? Vinman? You can't say anything about him. He went to Iraq! Oh, yes, I can. Watch me. But I'm out of time. I'll be right back. You're on the go and need news now. No paywalls, no cable subscriptions. Just download the Newsmax app from your smartphone store. It's free. And watch Newsmax TV anytime, anywhere. So that is Congressman James Comer, chair of the House Oversight Committee, Republican of Kentucky. And thanks to him and that great committee, we know some things that we did not know just a few short months ago. Number one, all the money coming into the Bidens. Take a look at these numbers. From Ukraine, $17 million to the Biden family. China, how much money? At least, at least, uh, may we have China? Yeah, $3 million. The list goes on. Uh, R Romania, money from Romania, <laughs> crazy stuff. And it's going to grandchildren, it's going to nieces, nephews, ex-girlfriends, girlfriends. It's just, <laughs> it's really, really strange. And uh, we also have the aliases that Joe Biden has been using. What is up with that, huh? On official vice presidential business. Anyway, welcome back, Congressman Comer. What's new? <laughs> Well, uh, you mentioned the pseudonyms. We, the fact that he had pseudonyms isn't really the biggest story here. The biggest story is the fact that he was copying Hunter Biden uh, on those emails that were written with pseudonyms. So we think that there are many more emails that National Archives is sitting on that uh, not only Joe Biden was using pseudonyms, but that he was tra he was copying his son Hunter on. Now this is important because Joe Biden. First of all, said he never knew his son was on the board of Burisma until after the fact. But then he said there was a wall between the government and his son. They never discussed business or anything like that. Well, what we're finding is not only did they discuss business, they discussed strategy. They discussed when they were going to meet with these people. They discussed uh, 
uh, what the narrative was going to be, how they were going to lie to the American people uh, when it was when word got out that they were being investigated for corruption in Ukraine and being investigated for uh, tax crimes and things like that. There was never a wall between Joe Biden and his family's shady business dealings. And I think what we're going to find is Joe Biden not only knew about them, but Joe Biden was the ringleader in all of the crimes that his family's committed. So, you know, let's face it, if this were uncovered about the Trumps, there would be, it would, would have been resignation watch, right? I mean, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and this, is, this is, I mean, I think you've used the phrase before, money laundering. I mean, this is a money laundering right. scheme. It's obvious, yet it seems like we're having trouble. Uh, you're not having trouble, but the country, the culture, the media taking this to the next step. And I know Matt Gates wants to make this an impeachment thing like yesterday. Um, is that fake news that we're feeling not as much momentum as, uh, you know, I don't know, all this evidence suggests? Well, it's, it's disappointing because the mainstream media is not covering this. It's all about Trump. They're covering everything about Trump. And I know there was a political story that came out a couple of days ago that said uh, this investigation of Joe Biden was retaliation for the things that were being done with Trump. That is completely false. This investigation is about public corruption. This investigation is about the crimes that the Biden family's committed. And this investigation is also about the government cover-up. Uh, what we found just in the last week is that uh, we were working with Secret Service to try to determine who the people were that tipped off the Biden legal team and the Biden transition team that the IRS was fixing to knock on their door about uh, all these suspicious money wires from foreign agents in foreign countries. And uh, we were having great conversation with the Secret Service, and then all of a sudden that stopped, and our source with Secret Service said Mayorkas called and told him to stand down, told him not to cooperate with Comer, or the House Oversight Committee. So we've already had that with Merrick Garland. Now we're facing that with with Mayorkas. So uh, that's why we've subpoenaed Mayorkas for certain records. Mm. We're uh, you know in the process of subpoenaing and, and trying to get the records from the National Archives that uh, were to were all the correspondence where Joe Biden used pseudonyms and where yeah. he copied his son on uh, things that he said he never discussed with his son. So this this investigation continues to make progress. Uh, we're, we're swimming uphill here. The media is fighting us. The, the government's obstructing. But yet I think we find more evidence every day to prove that uh, many crimes have been committed and Joe Biden knew about them all along. Hey, I don't know if you heard, but there's a report that David Weiss, the so-called special counsel now, is mm-hmm. preparing an indictment of Hunter Biden on the gun charge. You know, he lied on the federal form, not a drug user, but he was. And then they threw the gun in the dumpster, I think his girlfriend did. What do you think of that? If that's true, if there's going to be a federal indictment, you know, I, I think still there's a possibility that they're trying to protect Hunter. This is low-hanging fruit. It's not going to the stuff that you're talking about. What do you make of that? Well, this is low-hanging fruit. I mean, Hunter Biden has committed at least a dozen crimes. This one would be a distant 12th place on the list of the 12 crimes that he's committed, a distant 12th place. So, you know, this isn't something that I'm concerned about. We haven't even really looked into this one because it, it, it you know, small fries compared to money laundering, tax evasion, being an unregistered foreign agent, uh, to, to the, the wire fraud, to 
racketeering. The list goes on and on of major crimes that people serve long years, long periods of time in jail yeah. for. This gun crime, uh, you know, I'm watching. You know, Weiss has an opportunity to clear his good name, to prove that he's not a puppet of Merrick Garland. But, you know, to start with this uh, really doesn't get me very excited. I mean, Hunter Biden's sure. committed a dozen crimes, and this is the least serious of all of them. Congressman James Comer, happy you're on the case, sir. Best to your committee and keep in touch, Congressman. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We'll be right back. It's true. I am an America first, liberty loving Latino. That's why I know this country is worth fighting for. That's why the Chris Salcedo Show will always tell you the truth. The Chris Salcedo Show for the news you need to know. A push in some states to use the 14th Amendment to remove former President Trump's name from the ballot. The secretaries of state in three key battleground states are responding to those calls. His actions on January 6th um, amounted to um, uh, that they were in violation of him protecting the Constitution, therefore under the 14th Amendment. He he has disqualified himself from being a candidate. We've been saying all along that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment presents a, a clear and unequivocal statement. Donald Trump is disqualified. Well, they're all crazy political people, uh, everybody who just spoke, except actually for the first one. Uh, but secretaries of state are listening, and they're trying to get Trump off the ballot in some key states because all these indictments are not working. Donald Trump, in many polls, is beating Joe Biden right here. He's tied with Joe Biden. You think the fourth indictment would have changed things? <laughs> it's making him stronger. Let's bring in our panel. Lindsey Halligan, the great attorney representing Donald Trump, and Congressman Matt Gates, Republican of Florida and occasional host of The Great Kelly Show. <laughs> Welcome to you both, Matt. Great job, Congressman. Uh, but look, a lot's going on, and we can do this a bunch of different ways. But Congressman, first to you, what's top of mind for you tonight and all this swirl of stuff that we're in? Well, it's ridiculous that for the sake of democracy, what some of these glorified librarians masquerading as election officials are telling us is that we have to have fewer choices in deciding who our own leaders are. And so it's pretty easy to diagnose the two-tier justice system that we have now, 91 charges against President Trump. Meanwhile, you've got a pile of evidence against Joe Biden strong enough to convict O.J. Simpson in South Central Los Angeles, and yet we're sort of tepidly talking about maybe beginning an inquiry. We have bank records. We have flight logs. We have changes in administration policy. If we aren't willing to impeach Joe Biden with the evidence we have, why are we even looking? So the question is whether or not Republicans will have sufficient spine to do what is necessary. I also think that we've got this real converging crisis on government funding right now, Greg. And, you know, the way to go after the deep state, the way to stop this stuff is to cut the money off. I'm very disappointed we don't have the 12 individual appropriations bills that we demanded in January. And we're probably going to have to do something about that. Lindsey Halligan, this 14th Amendment stuff, uh, it's another front for you guys. Do you take it seriously? Where do you see this thing going? No, I, it's as, according to, I think it's Judge Luddig and Lawrence Tribe. Uh, those are the two people that are pushing this. Um, according to them, one single individual has standing to challenge whether an, another individual is qualified to hold public office 
the framers of our Constitution would have never, ever, ever wanted that. So I don't think that's going anywhere. Um, I know yesterday uh, Jack Smith filed uh, a, a complaint in the January 6th case alleging that uh, Donald Trump's truth posts are potentially uh, tainting the jury pool. Well, I think this 14th Amendment stuff uh, is potentially tainting the jury pool. I think the January 6th committee, um, the fact that that was publicized for everyone to see and it was completely one-sided, that uh, has potentially tainted the jury pool. Uh, and I know uh, Congressman uh, Gates knows all about that. The, the committee's 18th month, month investigation is, I'm pretty sure, the most extensive probe in congressional history. And because it was done all behind closed doors, the full extent of what was collected is unknown. Mm. Um, and so with all that, millions and millions of pages of material, um, how much of how much of that material does Jack Smith or Fonnie Willis have? And how much of that material has not been disclosed to President Trump? Uh, yeah. So there's a lot going on here. Sure. I mean, you turn on the TV, uh, media 24-7, big tech, and you got one social media account from Donald Trump. You know, I, it's wild. They're saying that that's a threat to the jury pool. Congressman, all those grievances you have, uh, they, they go right back to a certain Speaker of the House. And, uh, well, you made your opinion quite clear last January. What are you going to do? Well, in January, we developed a toolkit to actually solve these problems. And essential to that toolkit was the ability to evaluate the funding for every agency individually with the ability to offer open amendments and have them voted on. Greg, we are 11 legislative days away from government default. And the way to take the knife to the Jack Smith funding, the way to zero in on the problems at the FBI and the Department of Justice is to cut the money off. And we haven't put ourselves in a position to do that. So uh, I'm going to use every tool at our disposal. And uh, certainly uh, that means holding the speaker's feet to the fire and anyone else who would just want to continue what the Biden administration has done. We can do a lot better than this. We must do better than this. But it starts with the power of the purse, a power we have not yet used effectively. But I want to focus us to do just that. Congressman Gates, Matt Gates, thank you very, very much. And thank you, Lindsey Halligan, Donald Trump attorney, along with the others. Good luck. And we'll be back. Well, that is Kenny Shu you're looking at, the president of Color Us United. He's an activist. He's a conservative. Uh, he was instrumental, quite frankly, one of the key players who essentially got the Supreme Court to throw out affirmative action at Harvard and other places. It was discriminating against Asian students, clearly. His latest book, uh, available wherever books are sold, School of Woke, How Critical Race Theory Infiltrated American Schools and Why We Must Reclaim Them. Uh, Kenny Shu joins us now. And Kenny, I understand you have an important announcement that might affect uh, the country and certainly your future. How are you, sir? I'm really good. Thank you, Greg. Lay it on us. What's going down? Greg, I'm running for Congress, running for U.S. Congress in the state, my home state of North Carolina. That's right. I'm running on my focus is going to be on one issue, education. And this is an issue that stretches across independents, Republicans, even some Democrats. 
Uh, you have a culture of victimhood in our education system right now. And as a result, kids are behind 4.1 months in math and reading scores across the nation since before COVID. This is more than just a COVID problem. This is a willpower problem. And a lot of it comes from the enormous amount of money we dole in the federal government system uh, to pay for DEI and wokeness and victimhood. And I'm going to eliminate that in the federal government. I love it, Kenny. Great idea. This is awesome. Kenny Shue for Congress. You're running in North Carolina. Where in North Carolina? What district? Yeah, it's, it's going to be west of the uh, Raleigh area. Um, the districts have not been developed yet, but you can donate now. You can support me and contact me at KennyShoeForCongress.com. Kenny Shoe for Congress. Shoe is XShoeForCongress.com. All right, hasn't been developed yet. What, they're gerrymandering? I mean, is it an open seat? Who are we up against? Yeah, I'm going to challenge an incumbent Democrat. Um, the reason why I can't say right now is because they're still redistricting the district. So I don't know where it's it's it, they plan on uh, finishing it in October. And uh, from there, you know, obviously people have to choose which districts they run in. So but I know which area I'm in. I know which which issues North Carolinians are passionate about. That is education, combating critical race theory, enforcing this students for fair admissions decision. And I will be there. All right. Well, I love it. You're off and running. Fab fabulous news. And Kenny, you're going to talk about education. And do me a favor, just summarize the affirmative action thing that went down. And how were Asian students being penalized? It was, I've, I've been working on this issue for the past five years. I helped to sue Harvard University and the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, actually, for discriminating against Asians. They were being treated unfairly as much as 273 points higher on the SAT they were required to get to have the same chance of admission as a black student. Obviously, that is unfair. People should be treated on the basis of the content of their character, not the color of their skin. Restoring fairness and speaking to that deep-seated passion that Americans feel for treatment based on merit is another reason why I'm running. I love it. Kenny Shue for Congress.com. Kenny Shue, X-U, Kenny Shue for Congress.com. Check it out. Good luck. I've got a great feeling about this. Many thanks. Thank you, Greg. Thank you for watching. Proud of the show. We're doing something special. I know you know. Stand by for another great show. Chris Plant and the Right Squad.